Well, if you have a Bible, if you want to turn to Psalm 55, that's going to be our sermon text this morning. Every first Sunday we go through the Psalms in order, and we are all the way up to Psalm number 55. And if you're able to do so, I'll ask that you stand for the reading of God's Word this morning. Give ear to the reading of God's Holy Word, Psalm 55. To the choir master with stringed instruments, a maskil of David, give ear to my prayer, O God, and hide not yourself from my plea for mercy. Attend to me and answer me. I am restless in my complaint and I moan because of the noise of the enemy, because of the oppression of the wicked. For they drop trouble upon me and in anger they bear a grudge against me. My heart is in anguish within me. The terrors of death have fallen upon me. Fear and trembling come upon me and horror overwhelms me. And I say, oh, that I had wings like a dove. I would fly away and be at rest Yes, I would wander far away. I would lodge in the wilderness, Selah. I would hurry to find a shelter from the raging wind and tempest. Destroy, O Lord, divide their tongues, for I see violence and strife in the city. Day and night they go around it on its walls, and iniquity and trouble are within it. Rain is in its, uh, rain is in, ruin, excuse me, ruin is in its midst. Oppression and fraud do not depart from its marketplace. For it is not an enemy who taunts me, then I could bear it. It is not an adversary who who deals insolently with me, then I could hide from him. But it is you, a man my equal, my companion, my familiar friend. We used to take sweet counsel together. Within God's house, we walked in the throng. Let death steal over them. Let them go down to Sheol alive, for evil is in their dwelling place and in their hearts. But I call to God, and the Lord will save me. Evening and morning and at noon I utter my complaint and moan, and he hears my voice. He redeems my soul in safety from the battle that I wage, for many are arrayed against me. God will give ear and humble them, he who is enthroned from of old, because they do not change and do not fear God." My companion stretched out his hand against his friends. He violated his covenant. His speech was smooth as butter, yet war was in his heart. His words were softer than oil, yet they were drawn swords. Cast your burden on the Lord, and he will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. But you, O God, will cast them down into the pit of destruction, men of blood And treachery shall not live out half their days, but I will trust in you. Amen. This this ends the reading of God's word. You may be seated. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray and ask God to teach us his word this morning. Heavenly Father, we thank you once again that you give us this word, that you give us the scriptures that we might know you through faith in Christ and the gospel here and contained in its pages. And we pray that you would once again work in us by your spirit. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear great things from your word. For it's in Christ's name and for his glory that we pray. Amen. Well, here in this uh, somewhat longer psalm than some of the recent ones we've looked at, we have David's, uh, you know, we talk about people giving their testimonies. This is kind of David's personal testimony and instruction regarding prayer in times of severe affliction and even in times of betrayal. Uh, James Boyce sums up the psalm for us uh, very well. He says, this is a prayer 
in which the psalmist unburdens himself of his anguish, describes the terrors he is facing, reflects on the evil of his foes, asks God for help, and then persists in laying the same things before God again and again, stanza after stanza. This psalm is a lesson in perseverance. So this psalm, the word masculine that you see in the title, people people think that that means it's, it's a psalm of instruction, and it certainly is that, regardless of what that word may or may not mean. As we've gone through, maybe you've noticed if you were remembering Psalm 54, or perhaps you were looking at it uh, in preparation for today, you might notice that there's, there are similar themes between this psalm and the one we just looked at last month in Psalm 54, uh, in that both in both of those psalms they involve some kind of betrayal that was that was done against David. In Psalm 54, in the title, you notice that there's a, a little note saying what the circumstance was in David's life when he wrote it. He says that, that that Psalm 54 was written in view of the time it says, quote, when the Ziphites went and told Saul, is not David hiding among us? And remember, this is a time when David's on the run from Saul. Saul is trying to kill him. And so David can't be in Jerusalem where he'd like to be. He's not on the throne reigning where he should be. But he's running for his life from, from King Saul, who was rejected by the Lord. And he's in the wilderness in, in, the, in the area of the Ziphites, and what do they do? They tell Saul, David's over here. Come and get him. They, they, they really rat out and, and betray David. Now, the Ziphites were of the tribe of Judah. In other words, they were Israelites. Uh, and so for them to betray the Lord's anointed king, David, would have been very hard for David to bear, as we read about in that, in that psalm. They should have been able to have been counted on by him as among his most, faith, most faithful and dependable supporters, and yet they weren't. They betrayed him to, to Saul and risked David's life. David was almost killed because of their betrayal. Well, now in our psalm, in Psalm 55, once again we find David dealing with betrayal. Seems like it's a theme in this section of the psalm. Now this this time it took place, we think, after David's ascension to the throne. David's not writing this psalm out in the wilderness somewhere. He's writing it, we think, in, in Jerusalem. He's, he's reigning on the throne in Jerusalem. Uh, everything about this psalm seems to suggest that's where he's writing from. He talks about, verse 9, the city. Verse 10, he talks about the walls of the city. It sounds very much like Jerusalem's uh, description. He talks about, in verse 14, going to God's house with his betrayer, of all things. In verse 14, uh, in Psalm 54, David was on the run for his life. Uh, it says, in the wilderness of Ziph, in 1 Samuel 23, 15. Well, now, I mean, think about that. If you were, if you were, if you were David, and you were to think of the wilderness, that wasn't a good memory for you. That was you on the run literally for your life, and yet where does he wish he could go now? In Psalm 55, things are so bad, he says in verse uh, 7, that he wishes he had wings like a dove so that he could fly away, verse 6, and do what? Lodge or stay in the wilderness. How bad did things have to get for David, not just to write this psalm and to complain to the Lord in a sense the way he does, but to say, you know what? Here's where I'm supposed to be. I'd much rather be there. I'd much rather be in the place where I used to be hunted down to the death out amidst the dangers of the wilderness than to be in Jerusalem. 
seems like it would have taken a lot to make David long for uh, the wilderness where he used to be in, in peril. Have you ever felt like that? Have you ever felt, you know, it sounds like, a, what is it, the Southwest commercials, you want to get away? You ever felt like you just wanted to fly away? Maybe this is their favorite psalm, I don't know. But David wishes he could fly away. And, and to get any, anywhere else, but where do you want to go? Anywhere else but here is kind of what David was praying. Now this time his enemy wasn't Saul, and maybe this is why it was so bad. It wasn't any other person that David could count as an open uh, enemy of his. Uh, this time his situation involved more than one enemy, but, it, but there was one particular one that he calls, in verse 13, a familiar friend. He was betrayed by someone he counted on as a friend. He calls them a companion, a familiar friend, and even someone in verse 14 who had accompanied David to worship. You know, think, think about it as the, the person, don't think about them in particular, but think about this is somebody who, in our context, you'd be sitting next to in church every Sunday. Somebody you'd greet out in the parking lot on the way in, you'd look forward to to seeing, someone that you would talk to, uh, before and after the service about the word of God, about the things of the Lord. That's this person, whoever this is. This wasn't just any old person that David had turned on him. This is someone who really was a familiar friend. Now, our, our psalm doesn't say what the exact situation was like the previous one did. Uh, many see this as referring to probably the rebellion of Absalom. Uh, who's Absalom? He's one of David's own sons. Second Samuel chapter 15 tells about his rebellion. Now, not only did that, you know, that situation involve the rebellion of his own son, but it also involved the betrayal of someone else as well. Ahithophel uh, was David's counselor, and he betrayed David by choosing Absalom's side rather than David's. So was, this was a, a, a very broad, all-encompassing uh, betrayal and rebellion against David. First Chronicles twenty-seven thirty-three says this. It says, Ahithophel was the king's counselor, and Hushai the archite was the king's friend. Now, it's easy to read that and not think much of it, and think, well, you know, David had lots of counselors, and what's the big deal if one of them kind of switches sides and betrays him, even to his own flesh and blood? Now, uh, it would be easy to do that, but Second Samuel chapter 16, verse 23 says this about about how important Ahithophel was. It says, Now in those days the counsel of Ahithophel, uh, the counsel that Ahithophel gave, was as if one consulted the word of God, so was all the counsel of Ahithophel esteemed both by David and by Absalom. Think about that. It's as if, I mean, his counsel was so dependable, was so reliable and wise, that it's as if God were speaking through him. When he talked, it was as if somebody were opening their Bible, so to speak, and giving the advice that, that when you followed it, things turned out well. You know, David, you know, what's the saying? Heavy is the head that wears the crown. I mean, think about the pressures that David had on his shoulders. And think about how much David must have valued this man, Ahithophel. Not just to get his counsel, as important as that was, but I mean, he accompanied him to worship as well. He really esteemed, it seems, uh, Ahithophel very highly. Ahithophel was kind of his chief of staff or his right-hand man, to use our figure of speech. He was somebody on whom David depended in a lot of ways and whose wise counsel, it says right there in, in 2 Samuel, that he highly esteemed. And so did Absalom. 
He was a very much sought-after person. Now, in this, uh, David is surely a kind of a, a type or a foreshadowing of Christ himself. Why do I say that? Well, Christ was betrayed by one of the twelve, by Judas Iscariot. And, and how did Judas betray him? It sounds odd to ours, with a kiss. What does he say to him? You know, do you, do you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? A kiss is, you know, we give a holy handshakes and hugs. The Bible talks about greet one another with a holy kiss. I mean, it, it's, it doesn't get much more close than that between, between friends. And yet that, that is actually how Judas betrayed the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, it reminds me of Proverbs 27.6. It says, faithful are the wounds of a friend. And then what does it say? Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. It sounds backwards, right? You'd think the enemy's the one that gives the wounds and the friend's the one that gives uh, the kisses. But what, it, what is it saying? You know, your, your real friends, uh, you always say that you know who your real friends are when you move. You know, well, your, your real friends are the ones that are willing to say hard things to you. Things that they don't enjoy saying, but things they know that you need to hear at times. It doesn't mean your friends are always saying bad things to you, but but they're willing to say things they know won't be fun to hear when you need to hear it. Whereas an enemy, what do they do? What does an enemy do usually? They'll say bad things behind your back, but they, they put on a good front in front of you. They they multiply, as the, the proverb says, they, 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 they're profuse with their kisses. They act like your friend when they're when they're not they mask their real intentions by pleasant sounding words well Ahithophel was like Judas Iscariot who was to come long after him not only did he betray God's anointed king to those who sought his life that's what happened in both cases but he's also similar in his end because how did Judas die how did Ahithophel die they both hung themselves after their betrayal second Samuel 17:23 tells of Ahithophel Ahithophel's death and Matthew 27.5 talks about Judas Iscariot doing that as well. Now, we, we can't really be exactly sure that this is that, that Absalom's rebellion is the precise situation David's talking about here. It certainly fits the, the, the text of our psalm. Uh, either way, I think it, it helps us understand what kind of a thing that David's writing about in the psalm. And I'd like us to look at at least three things from our psalm. Uh, I've outlined it uh, this way, that uh, the first thing we see in the first eight verses is, is David's burden. What's David's burden? He tells God what his burden is in verses 1 through 8. The second thing, although the whole psalm is a prayer, in, in verses 9 through 15 is kind of the heart of David's prayer. It's, when I say prayer, I mean it's his request. Here's where he's asking God what he wants God to do for him. And then in verse uh, 16 to 23 is David's faith. So David's burden, David's prayer, and lastly, David's faith. So the faith, the first thing we see is his prayer, uh, or is his burden, rather. It's David, David begins this psalm, this prayer, by, by kind of telling God about his burden and about his anguish. In verse 1, he says, Give ear to my prayer, O God, and hide, your, hide not yourself from my plea for mercy. You know, maybe David kind of felt like God was hiding himself. Now, God doesn't really hide himself, but in, in a way of speaking, sometimes God hides his face. We don't sense his presence, and so David probably felt that way, and he asks him not to hide himself from his plea for mercy. Now, you know, he, he's talking about his anguish and his burden throughout the psalm, but what does David do about it? It may seem obvious, but sometimes it, it doesn't... It doesn't really hit us. What did he do about his burden and his anguish? And what does he encourage you and I to do here in the psalm? 
Not a trick question. He prayed. David prayed. He didn't let his anguish, his burden, his the weight that was on his shoulders, even the threat against his life, keep him from praying. In a sense, throughout this whole psalm, David prays and does what he commends us to do in verse 22. Verse 22, he says to cast your cares, your burdens upon the Lord. Well, David is doing that here in this psalm and all throughout the psalm. How often do we forget uh, you know, you and I, sometimes we fret, we worry, we cry, we do what David does in verse 2. He says he moaned over our sorrows and afflictions. You know, it's easy to complain about our sorrows and afflictions, but sometimes we complain and we don't ever get around to praying. We I think it, it seems like the, you would think the most natural thing for us to do would be to pray. And yet how often do you and I fail to pray when things are going badly for us? We just sang a hymn. What a friend we have in Jesus. And the very first verse, you could say, kind of reflects the theme of this part of the psalm. It says, what a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and what? Griefs to bear. He doesn't just bear our sins, he bears our griefs as well. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. You know, David carried everything to God in prayer, even things that we might be uncomfortable uh, taking to God. He, he told God everything about it. He didn't hold anything back. He didn't try to keep everything, uh, you know, kind of um, neat and tidy and uh, polite. Uh, you know, did David know, does, does God know all things? Did David know that God knows all things? Yes. Did that keep him from praying? Did that keep him from telling God everything? Even though God knows it all already, as we all know, I think, he still told God all about it. He knew the truth of, of Hebrews 4.13, that nothing can be hidden from God's sight. And yet he still laid everything out before his God about his situation. It didn't stop David from doing what he tells us to do. He, he still cast his burden upon the Lord. He was, verse 2, restless. Imagine David, the man after God's own heart, being restless. He moaned, verse 2. He moaned because of, quote, the oppression of the wicked. In verse 3, and what did he do? He told God that. God's not surprised when we're moaning, when we're sighing, when we're restless. He said his heart was in anguish within him, and the terrors of death, verse 4, had fallen upon him. What did he do? He told God about it. He wasn't giving God a news flash, but he told God about it anyway. He says, fear and trembling. David, David, who killed Goliath, fear and trembling came over him and horror overwhelmed him. And what did he do? He told God about it. He told God about it. He did, you know, it's easy to think of, of David. You think, of, you know, he didn't wish for eagle's wings to fly into battle and to fight. He wished for wings like a dove, verse 6, so that he could fly far away and hide out in the wilderness. And what did he do once again? He told God all about it. He lays it out, all of this stuff out before God in prayer. He told God exactly how he was feeling and why, knowing that God already knew all that, but he, he prayed about it anyway. Think about that for a minute. You know, this is David. King David, a man after God's own heart, the scriptures say that twice. They call him the man after God, God's own heart. He's the one who slew Goliath, the giant Philistine, and was unafraid to remember, remember the story in 1 Samuel 17? I'm paraphrasing, but 
Everybody and their mother is terrified of Goliath, and with good reason. He's you know, about 10 feet tall. You and I would have trouble lifting one of his weapons without help. His spear was like a telephone pole. I mean, it, 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 it's hard to imagine how large and, and frightening this man was. And, and, you know, Saul, the man who was head and shoulders above the rest, was quaking in his boots and was afraid to go. And what happens? David, who we don't know how old he was. He wasn't a, t- a 10-year-old, but he wasn't a grown man either. David shows up in the middle of everything and says, you know, who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he stands, you know, stands against the armies of the living God? What's the holdup? How come somebody isn't volunteering, hint, hint, King Saul? You know, let's, let's, let's get this show on the road. We've got things to do. Let's, we only got to kill one guy and we win the whole thing. Let's go. You know, he didn't show any fear. You know, I would have shown lots of fear. I'd have been looking for the other person raising their hand. You probably would have too. And what does David do? No armor. Doesn't take Saul's armor. Takes five smooth stones. You know, why he looked for smooth ones, I don't know. But smooth little stones from the, from the brook and takes his sling and goes forth and tells uh, Goliath, you know, I'm going to cut your head off. I'm going to remove that head off that large body of yours. Whose, so, whose sword was he going to use? Goliath. He wasn't afraid. But here, what does he say? You know, this is David who, remember there was a song that drove Saul nuts? They, they, you know, they kind of praised Saul. Saul killed his thousands, but David killed his tens, that tens of thousands. This is the same David that that song was sung about multiple times. Now he's afraid. Now he's restless. Now he's moaning. Now his heart is in anguish and the, 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 the terrors of death have fallen upon him. He's in fear and trembling over him. But he he lays all this out before God. How much more should you and I be unafraid to to lay our our burdens before God if David can do all of that? He's restless now. He's fearful. He's in anguishing and horror. And yet David, the man after God's own heart, wasn't ashamed to confess all of this to God, who already knew all of it already. Just like God knows all of our problems, all of your problems already. He knows exactly how you feel, and there's no harm in telling God what he already knows. But there's great help in telling God what he already knows. We should not be, just like David wasn't, we shouldn't be afraid to lay these things before God and tell him how we feel and ask for his help. Well, the second thing we see in this psalm is David's prayer. Kind of the the bulk of his requests are found in this section, verses 9 through 15. Now, this isn't just a prayer. It's not just a request. It's even an imprecation. That's, a, that's one of those words we don't use much. But an imprecatory prayer or an imprecation is where you're praying for God to strike down your enemies. Where you're praying for God to not only rescue you from danger, but you're praying that God, one of the ways he rescues his people from danger is very often in judging the wicked. It's always been the case, often been the case throughout Scripture, look at verses 9 through 11. He says, destroy. He's not beating around the bush here at all. Destroy, O Lord, divide their tongues. It sounds like the Tower of Babel, right? God divided their tongues and they were confused and they weren't able to work together to do their devices. David, David's saying his enemies were kind of like those people at Babel. Divide their tongues. Why? For I see violence and strife in the city. Day and night they go around it on its walls. The walls were the defenses of the city. He's saying the wicked are running around on the walls committing these these violent things. Iniquity and trouble are within it. So you've got trouble on the walls. You've got trouble inside the walls. Their iniquity and trouble are within the walls. Ruin is in its midst. 
Oppression and fraud do not depart from its marketplace. Like everywhere David looked in the city of Jerusalem, in the capital city, he saw wickedness. Not just, not just the betrayal of himself, but the wickedness that just seemed to be spreading throughout the city. Now David's prayer here is not, these are not empty words. David's not just kind of throwing these things out there and, you know, and, and thinking like we often do, you know, God's not really going to do anything, but I'm going to pray anyway. You ever do that? You ever pray? I do that. You pray and then you don't think to even watch for his answer. That's not what David's doing here. Do you believe that God answers prayer? I hope you do. If you do, I think that will lead us to pray more faithfully. I, I hope that you believe that. You know, many in our day, you might have noticed in recent weeks after the shooting in Florida, you know, many in our day seem to have this habit of mocking prayer. They mock prayer as a hollow, useless thing. And they say, oh, hey, your thoughts and prayers, those don't do anything. What we really need is more legislation, right? As if prayer does nothing. You can have legislation all you want, but to say that legislation is more powerful than praying to the living God who created the heavens and the earth by his word is a silly thing. Is Can it ever be a hollow, useless thing to draw near to the throne of grace? Are we not told by the writer of Hebrews in Hebrews 4.16 that we are to draw near to the throne of grace? Why? That we may receive mercy and help, uh, mercy and find grace to help in time of need. If you go to the throne of grace and go boldly, uh, you go there that we might receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. God does give mercy and grace, even as David prayed here in this prayer. He said, hide not yourself from my plea for Mercy, in verse 1, William Plummer writes the following. He says, The most powerful weapon ever used in this world against cruel and unreasonable men is prayer. Not last resort. The most powerful weapon ever used in this world against cruel and unreasonable men is prayer. David Dixon also says, The prayers of the godly are more able to disappoint the plots of cruel enemies than all human policy. Words, you can make plans and plots and, and policy and you know all these things all you want. And those things aren't bad things necessarily. But what's more powerful than all that? What's the one thing that God will use to disrupt their evil plans and plots? The prayers of the godly. God answers prayer, and we should not be ashamed to pray. David could you know, David couldn't bear to see the wickedness and violence, the iniquity and ruin, even oppression and fraud in the city of his God. And so what did he do? David's the king. You know, if policy works, David had the keys, you know, so to speak, of the kingdom. David could pass all the policies and, and laws and things he wanted. But what did David do? He prayed to the only one who could really put a stop to it. He prayed to the only one that can really change the hearts of men or to judge them rightly and stop them in their tracks. Now, as if that wasn't bad enough, he speaks of the, this betrayal of a once-trusted friend in verses 12 to 14. He says, for it is not an enemy who taunts me. I mean, he's been there and done that, right? David's used to that. He could deal with that. He says, then I could bear it. Now, if only it were someone like that, David probably wouldn't even be writing this song. He said, it is not an adversary who deals insolently, you know, boastfully or proudly with me. Then I could hide from him. But it is you, a man, my equal, my companion, my familiar friend. We used to take sweet counsel together within God's house. Uh, we walked in the throng. 
You know, this, whatever it was, this betrayal was done to David not by an open enemy, but by a companion and a familiar friend. This was somebody, again, who David used to go to worship with at God's house. This is somebody that he experienced fellowship with together. Now, it must be said, I think, from reading this, that there are few injuries, few insults and attacks so serious, so hurtful as those which God's people experience at the hands of other professing Christians. You know, if you've been a Christian for any length of time, you, I don't need to tell you that. You already know that full well. And it's easy to kind of pretend that there's never a problem in the house of God. There's never been a division in a church. We know that's not the case. There's never been a problem at a church. You've never been harmed uh, by anyone in a church. You probably have had that happen maybe multiple times. Maybe you're sitting here right now thinking of all the times you've had that experience. And I hope that does not turn you off from church altogether. It shouldn't. David doesn't do that. David just says, hey, this is, this happens. And he prays to God about it. Um, now Israel, if you think about the Old Testament, Israel was the manifestation of what we call the visible church in the Old Testament. And you don't need to read very far into your Old Testament to see that there was often a great deal of, of to use Jesus' metaphor, tares mixed among the wheat in Israel, just like there is in the church today. In many ways, that hasn't changed. And so you and I shouldn't be too surprised when the godly find themselves opposed, even in the work of the gospel, not just by those outside the church, right? We expect that. But we even find ourselves opposed in the work of the gospel by those inside the church as well. And so what does David tell us to do? Give up on church? Give up on the gathering of God's people on the Lord's Day? No, he says, pray, pray. God is the one that can make these things right. God is the one that one day will make all those things right. Well, the last thing we see here in our text in verses 16 to 23, in a sense, is David's faith. In verse 16, he says, But but I call to God, and the Lord will save me. That's faith. That's confidence. David's saying, My prayers are not empty words. My prayers are going to be heard by my God and my Savior. His confidence and his faith were in the Lord. And so what did he do? He called out to God and had a firm hope that the Lord would deliver him, just as he prayed. Just as Psalm 53, a couple psalms ago, remember Psalm 53 is one of those ones that says, that, you know, the, 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 the fool says in his heart, what? There's no God? Well, Psalm 53 verse 4 tells us that one of the things that is true of the atheist and the wicked is that they, quote, do not call upon God. They say in their heart there is no God, so why would they call upon him? One of the things that that identifies the wicked, in a sense, the unrepentant, is they don't pray. They do not call upon God. Why would they? They think that they are sufficient in and of themselves to do what they want to do. But here, what does David do? David says, no, 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 I'm, I'm going to pray. Faith sets the believer in the godly praying, even sets us persevering in prayer. Sometimes you just... You pray and you still get no relief and you just need to learn to keep on praying and God and trusting God that he hears. Well, he didn't just pray to the Lord that he might give ear to his prayer in verse 1. He didn't just vent, so to speak, if I can use that term for what David's doing about his problems in verses 2 through 8. Look at verse 17. What does he say? Evening and morning and at noon, I utter my complaint and moan. And then what does he say? And he hears my voice. 
It'd be nice if you could just pray, you know, check the box in the morning and, and everything will be fine. David, what does David say? He, we, we'd put it a different way. We'd say we prayed morning, noon, and night. That's what David says he did. David was the king. If anybody could think of themselves as sufficient for what he had to do, it was him. And yet what did he do? He prayed all the time, morning, noon, and at, at night. David had faith in God that he would redeem his soul in safety from the battle he waged, verse 18. He had faith that God would, quote, give ear to listen, right? Give ear and humble his enemies who did not fear God, verse 19. And if you want a central point of the entire psalm, I believe it's found in verse 22. This, this, is, this is kind of the summary of the entire psalm and David's, David's encouragement to you and to me. He says, verse 22, Cast your burden on the Lord and he will do what? He will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. Cast your burden on the Lord. He will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. Isn't that really what David's doing all through this psalm? It's as if he's writing this psalm and then he stops and he says, you know, I better spell this thing out. I better make it very clear exactly what I'm doing and what I'm encouraging them to do. He's casting throughout this psalm. He's casting his burden on the Lord. And here he stops to actually tell us, to instruct us to do the same. This isn't just for kings. It's not just for King David. It's for everyone who knows the Lord. This psalm, this psalm is not just history. This psalm is not just biography. It's instruction. It's example and it's exhortation. David, David wants us to get the point that we, sh- we too, like him, should cast our burden on the Lord. When I, even when I say that verse, it might bring to your mind the words of the Apostle Peter in 1 Peter 5, verses 6 through 7. There he says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. And then he adds, casting all your cares on him. Why? Because he cares for you. Same thing David's saying here in Psalm 55. Now the last two verses in closing of Psalm 55, in case we haven't gotten the point before, I mentioned it in our call to worship with Psalm 5, as well, but the last couple of verses of Psalm 55, what do they do? They kind of set a contrast before our eyes, don't they? They set a contrast, a pretty vivid contrast. They demand, in some sense, these verses do, they demand that we choose a side. They demand, they tell us, they tell you to choose a side, to decide which side you are on. Are you among the righteous, those who trust in the Lord, and those who cast their burdens upon Him? Verse 22. Or are you among the wicked who do not fear God, verse 19, and are not trusting in the Lord? Those who give free reign to their sins and one day will be cast down by the Lord. And verse 23, it says, and shall not live out half their days. That's, that's, that's really the contrast. That's the choice David puts before us even here this morning. He says, cast your burden on the Lord and he will sustain you. He will never permit the righteous to be moved. But you, O God, will do what? Will cast them down into the pit of destruction. Men of blood and treachery shall not live out half their days. And then he adds what? But I will do what? I will trust in you. And that's really the difference. It's easy to say that the the real difference between the righteous and and the wicked, between the believing and unbelieving, is that, that, you know, us on the inside, so to speak, are better than those on the outside. Now, Hebrews does say, without holiness, no man will see the Lord, right? That, that is absolutely true. But what's the real difference? 
faith. Trusting in the Lord, trusting in the Lord means also will lead to casting your cares and your burdens upon him. So this morning I ask again, are, are you in Christ by faith? Then whatever your burdens may be, however serious and hurtful they may be, cast them upon the Lord as David did and as David tells us to do here. And he, the Lord, will sustain you and he will never allow you to be moved. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for these these words, these psalms that you give us that we can sing, that we can pray to you as even David did in this, this, this prayer and song of David, that we can read and meditate upon and see the man after your own heart uh, dealing with difficulties, that coming to Christ by faith does not mean an end to our difficulties, and we, we wish it did mean that. At least it doesn't mean that in this life, that we, we who, on this uh, trail of tears, in a sense, this veil of tears that we walk in this life, that uh, we suffer many things, and those who are, would live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution in this life, your word tells us. So we pray that you would give us grace to uh, to imitate the faith and prayer of David here in this psalm, that we might cast our burdens upon you. Give us grace to pray. Lord, the, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak in each one of us. Help us to pray. Help us to pray with one another. Help us to pray for one another. Give us grace to have the faith that David encourages us to have, encourage us to have in, this, in this psalm, that we might trust you, cast our burdens upon you, knowing that you care for us, that you will sustain us, and you will never allow your, your faithful to be the righteous, to be moved. Lord, we pray that if anybody here this morning does not yet know you, that still has not had the burden not just of their suffering but of their sin removed from them, that you would uh, get them to cast that upon you as well, that you would open their eyes, that they might turn to Christ by faith and have forgiveness and life in his name. For it's in Christ's name and for his glory that we pray. Amen.